In today's passage, which was just read, we see that the author compares living the Christian life to a race. This metaphor is used repeatedly in scripture. And so today as we study this passage, we're going to look a little bit at the race, like what is it, and uh, how we can prepare for it, and then how we can run it. And while we're doing all that, we're going to unpack this biblical truth that we can only successfully run the race set before us with our eyes fixed on Jesus. We can only successfully run the race set before us with our eyes fixed on Jesus. If we look to anything else, anything other than Jesus will falter. Uh, So let's get into it. We're gonna look at the passage again. Again, this is Hebrews 12, verses one and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The first word in today's passage, therefore, It reminds us of the need to look to context, right? You've probably heard something like, whenever you see the word therefore, you should ask yourself, what is that therefore? It's just a simple way to remind us that context matters. And so we wanna do that with today's passage. We wanna look at where we've been so we understand where we're going. And so where are we? What is the context? Where are we in Hebrews? Believe it or not, we're almost done. We're at the end, there's only one chapter left. That's it. And all this time we've been going through Hebrews, we've seen how Jesus is superior. Jesus is better than the angels, he's better than the prophets, he's better than Moses and Aaron and Joshua. And we've looked at how Jesus is our great high priest. And we've looked at the role of faith and, and how faith plays out in our lives. And for the past several weeks, we've been going through the hall of faith. Just all of these people in the Bible whose faith should serve as a motivation, should serve as an example for us. And that brings us to today's passage. Therefore, this passage says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, run the race looking to Jesus. At first that may seem a little strange. The author of Hebrews spends all of this time going through what is like effectively an expert witness list. Just all of these witnesses uh, for God. And then he says, so we just spent all this time looking at them, so look to Jesus. But that makes sense when we stop and remember what a witness is. See, witnesses are called to testify about what they have personal knowledge of. And as we look back at that hall of faith, at that witness list, we see that they're not testifying about their greatness. They're testifying about the greatness of God. And if you want to know about the greatness of God, it doesn't matter how impressive the rest of the list is. Jesus is better. So we need to look to him as we run this Christian race. So we have this race. What is it? The author uses uh, the race as a metaphor for the Christian life. So in order to understand what that metaphor means, we need to know something about what the Christian life is. 
And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 kind of just provides um, a quick summary, a, a short synopsis of what the Christian life is. And it's this, to be pleasing to God. That's the race we're running. That's the race that's set before us, to live in such a way that pleases God. And if we understand that, it's easy to see that we can only successfully run the race set before us with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Okay, so if that's the race, how do we prepare for it? We're gonna look at three distinct ways uh, that factor into our preparation. One is motivation, and then we're gonna look at the things that we need to lay aside, the weights and the sin that entangles us. But they say, I've heard, that the hardest part is just starting. It can be hard to be motivated, even to do the things that we know we should. And so it's helpful sometimes to have somebody else that we can look to that's already accomplished what it is that we're trying to do. It's motivating. It's like, if I wanna get healthy, it will be motivating to me to know somebody else who was not healthy and then went on the journey to health and there would be a motivation, an example for me of how that could be achieved. If I wanna get good at reading God's word every day, and that's something I struggle with, it'll be motivating to know somebody else who struggled in that way and has succeeded in being in God's word daily. That's motivating to know that somebody else has already accomplished what it is that we're trying to do. And we saw as the first aspect of this passage, this great cloud of witnesses, all these godly examples of these people who've already run the race. And that's the race that's set before us, so we can look to them to motivation. But as Pastor Shu pointed out, this list, this expert witness list, it's full of people that messed up. They stumbled, they faltered, they took their eyes off of God sometimes. But still they endured, they finished the race, and this should be great motivation for us when we struggle even if we're just struggling to begin. See, they're witnesses to God's greatness. And their race should motivate us to run the race that's been set before us. And to run the race well, we, like they needed to do, must lay aside two things. Every weight that slows us down and the sin that so easily entangles. That's part of the preparation if we're going to run a race, we need to be free from anything that slows us down. When you watch athletes run at a track meet, there's no extra fabric on their uniforms. They strip away any unnecessary articles of clothing before they compete. See, anything else catches the wind and it slows them down. There's a reason why you don't see athletes run down the track wearing a big, bulky winter coat. It's the same reason they wear these specially designed running shoes instead of like still-toed work boots. It's extra weight. It slows you down. It hinders your run. And in running a race, there is a need to be free from anything that slows us down. But the need to be unencumbered is even more essential when the race we're talking about is the race of the Christian life. So we need to be free from the things that slow us down, which is why verse one says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin. We know, right, as Christians, 
We shouldn't have sin in our lives. Like, we know that's bad. But the wording in this verse indicates that there's some sort of distinction between the sinful things that we know we need to get rid of and the other weights that we need to lay aside that aren't necessarily sinful. And the weight mentioned in this verse refers to the legalism and Levitical system that the Hebrews, the original audience of this book of the Bible, were so used to. See, it's not that the Levitical system is sinful. It's just that legalism can be a weighty burden to bear. These Jewish Christians are considering either leaving their faith altogether or trying to shoehorn Jesus into well, the ways that they grew up with, into the things that they already knew with animal sacrifices and that kind of thing. We're probably not very tempted, most of us, to turn to animal sacrifices. Still, there are burdens that we carry that we need to lay down. Are we too concerned with what people think of us? Does our career matter more to us than it should? Are we overly concerned with stability or our legacy or financial security? Do we just have to know what's going on with our social media? It's not that those things by themselves are sinful. It's just that the inordinate care for being overly concerned or too fond of the things of this world becomes a dead weight upon our souls. If the things that we're concerned about hold us down or pull us back, when what we want is to be propelled forward toward Jesus, then those are the weights that we need to lay aside. These burdens make the race harder than it has to be. But there's hope. We can take these burdens, these weights, and we can lay them down at Jesus' feet. See, Jesus bids us to cast our cares upon him. In Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus famously says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Give him the weights that we need to lay aside. Learn from him. Did you notice in the middle of this verse that Jesus says we need to learn from him? He couples learning from him, looking to him with finding rest for our souls. It's when we look to him, when we learn from him, that we will be unencumbered from the things that weigh us down because we'll be focused on Jesus and what he says instead of what other people think about us. We'll be relying on Jesus for our stability and our career and our legacy and our financial security instead of trying to do these things on our own power. We can only successfully run the race set before us with our eyes fixed on Jesus. But casting away these weights is not enough. This passage also encourages us that if we are to run the race, we must also lay aside sin which clings to us. Sin clings to us like a toddler that doesn't want to go to bed. We must actively cut away the sin that is clinging to our legs and trying to trip us up from running the race. Running the race of this Christian life while sin is so desperately holding on to you, it's like trying to swim in quicksand. 
You put forth all this effort, all this energy, and you're not getting anywhere. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis points out this interesting observation. He says, I think that many of us, when Christ has enabled us to overcome one or two sins that were an obvious nuisance, are inclined to feel, though we don't put it into words, that we are now good enough. But, he continues, this is a fatal mistake. The exhortation that we see in today's passage is that we are to lay aside every weight and sin, all sin. We can't be content at repenting from only the big sins or the obvious sins, as Lewis puts it, that are a nuisance to us. See, just avoiding the big sins is not enough. It's like we think, like I know, I know it says don't murder. I'm not gonna murder, obviously. But I don't need to be so concerned, do I? About the way my words cut people down instead of build them up and edify them, like Ephesians 4.29 says they should. Or I know I'm not supposed to be addicted to drugs, obviously, but does that mean I need to be concerned with how addicted I am to my phone? Where's my phone? Sometimes we just compare ourselves to others that we think we're better than, and then we think something like, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as that tax collector. And I'm not like them, so I don't need to be so concerned, do I, with my own pride, my own arrogance, the way I exalt myself? See, as people, we have this tendency to choose others that we think that we're better than and compare ourselves to them and go, I don't do that. I'm not so bad. I'm good enough. I don't need to worry about the sins that I'm okay with. C.S. Lewis calls this attitude fatal. We cannot be content with holding on to some sin. We feel like it's a small thing to be comfortable with sin. It's not. It's a big deal. The author of Hebrews has already warned against having this kind of attitude. It's dangerous. It becomes a stumbling block to the race we're running. Lewis calls it fatal. And then he goes on to call this attitude lazy. But we don't want laziness to characterize the way we run the race that God has set before us, do we? Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verses 24 through 26. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Can you imagine? You're watching the Summer Olympics and the race is about to start and all these athletes they're in like prime physical shape, like true specimens. And they've been preparing for this race their whole life. And so they line up on the, on the track and they get their feet in the, in the starting blocks, you know? And they get down in the ready position. And then the gun fires. And they just real slowly stand up, stretch maybe, 
And they just look at each other. And all together, they kind of decide, let's just walk this thing. We can stroll down this together. And they're just like gabbing away, chatting each other up, catching up on old times, just making a grand time of it. It's an Olympic race. That would never happen. That's absurd. And these athletes are running for a perishable prize, a laurel wreath, a gold medal. It fades, and then it's gone. But we are running for an imperishable prize, the eternal crown of life, eternity with God. This is not a race that we can run lazily. How do we run the race then? See, we've prepared for the race, we've, we're motivated to run it, we've laid aside every weight and sin, and we have this race to run, so how do we run it? Today's passage tells us to run it with endurance. Endurance, that's the ability to continue despite fatigue. It's like stamina commingled with determination. It's persevering while withstanding adverse conditions. And so we need to run this race knowing it will be difficult, knowing that we'll face hardships, but with an aim to last until the end, to continue to run until the race is done. How do you run with endurance? By looking to Jesus. We can only successfully run the race set before us with our eyes fixed on Jesus. That's what this passage says. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Well, verse says, looking to Jesus. Well, look, that can mean glance or notice or see. But the connotation here is so much more than that. It's more like continually gazing at with amazement and wonder or staring in awe. You know what it's like? I remember when Lisa and I got married 12 years ago and I'm standing at the altar with my best man, my groomsmen, and the bridesmaids, they have all walked down the aisle, right? And, and the flower girls, they've strewn their petals about. And then the music changes. And everybody stands. And the doors open up. And in comes Lisa. For me, nothing else existed in the world. All these people that just stood and turned to see Lisa, all of these witnesses for our wedding, none of them were there for me. All I saw was Lisa. I tell you, a giant gorilla could have come and ripped the roof right off the church. I wouldn't have noticed. All I could see was my beautiful bride. That's what's being conveyed here. It's like that old, wonderful hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what's being conveyed in this passage when it says that we're to run looking to Jesus. And that's how it has to be because we are prone to wander. Have you noticed when you're driving, if you gaze to the left or to the right, that the car kind of drifts that way too? 
So we have this tendency as people to go in the direction that we're looking. And if we want to get to the finish where Christ is waiting, we cannot take our eyes off of him. If we are to run this race looking to Jesus, how can we stay focused on him? Ultimately, this just comes with cultivating our relationship with him. And we're gonna foster that relationship in every way that you've always been told that you're supposed to do. It's just the normal things. It's when we submit our time, talents, and treasure to God and use them for his glory that we stay focused on him. So we're gonna do this by spending time in his word by spending time in prayer, by spending time together with our family on Sundays, sitting under the teaching of the pastors, by spending time praising God together in song, by spending time together in community and intertwining our lives together so that we can use our talents to motivate each other for this race, so that we can use our talents to edify, so that we can use our talents to grow to the glory of God. And it's submitting our treasures to him, using our treasure to support his work, using our treasure to support his church, using our treasure to support his people. Doing these things puts Jesus in the forefront of our mind and our gaze stays with our glorious savior. Now, verse two also notes that Jesus is both the founder and perfecter of our faith. See, not only is Jesus the object of our faith, he's the author, he's the architect, he's the founder of it as well. And it's only because of the work of Jesus that we can even run this race, that we can enter it, that we can lay aside these sins and burdens that slow us down because we can't run this race without the power of the Holy Spirit, whom we only have because of what Jesus, as the founder and perfecter of our faith, accomplished. And so when we run this race, we must remember that any success we enjoy is not our own doing. It's simply to the glory of God. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We can only successfully run the race set before us with our eyes fixed on Jesus. It's not our power, but God's. Running the race is not a source of arrogant, prideful boasting for us. It's an opportunity to be a witness and testify about the glory of God. Any success we have, it doesn't mean that we're faster or better than anyone. It's just because Jesus has already perfectly run this race. His life is perfectly pleasing to the Father. And if our race is to be pleasing to God, then we must run it with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the one who's already done it, the one who enables our success. We must run depending on him for the completion of our race. Just as we depend on him for salvation, which he secured for us on the cross. And we see this in verse two of today's passage, that Jesus endured the cross despising its shame. If Jesus despised the shame, why did he endure the cross? Today's passage tells us that it was for the joy set before him for the joy 
Jesus endured the cross. The Gospel of John at chapter 17 paints this picture of Jesus during the Last Supper. He's giving this lengthy prayer. It's called the High Priestly Prayer. And during it, at the end, he says this in verse 24 of John 17. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus' desire, it's his desire, that's what this verse says, it's his desire and prayer that we get to be with him where he is, where we can see him glorified for all eternity. And today's passage tells us that right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, glorified. And it's his prayer, it's his joy for us to be with him. It's his desire that we get to see him as he truly is, glorified. That's why Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy set before him, for the restoration of mankind. Man's sin brought separation between us and God. For the joy set before him, Jesus brought reconciliation, which had been the aim of history since the fall. What is our response to this Jesus then? We must look unto him, setting him continually before us as our example, as our great motivation, as our great encouragement. As the founder and the perfecter of our faith, we must look to Jesus for direction and assistance as we run this race. Ultimately, we must depend upon him for acceptance into the presence of God. The race that is set before us is to be pleasing to God. It's to endure in this life and to lay aside every encumbrance, every sin that entangles us so that nothing distracts our eyes from Jesus. So then like Paul, we can look forward with eagerness to the end when our race is done. Paul said in the last epistle he wrote before being executed with death crouching at the door, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's the race set before us. Our aim is to keep the faith, to endure and to run to the end, to live a life that is pleasing to God. By the grace of God, we get to be with Jesus and glorify him forever, where he is, seated at the right hand of the throne because of what he accomplished on the cross. But, but, while present here on earth, we do not have the right to delay or to deny the glorification of God now. We've been blessed with this race to run. We've been blessed with this life to live. We have the opportunity now to testify of his greatness, to see him glorified. Glorifying to God is not limited to eternity. It begins now. We've been given this race to run. Let's not waste it. A triumphant end is possible in Christ, but we can only successfully run the race set before us with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just praise you. You are God and you are good and you are the perfect Father.
You love us and care for us so well. You did not leave us stranded when we could not help ourselves, but instead sent your son who endured the cross so that we could be reconciled with you. Lord, it's my prayer that we run the race that you've given us well. Help us to lay aside the weights and the sin that entangle us. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. And God, I just pray for the dads in this room. Lord, help us to be the kind of fathers that when our own children look to us, they see us looking to you. Lord, thank you for being our God and hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.